You're listening to Herb Mentor Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Today we're chatting with Rosemary Gladstar and Susan Leopold. Rosemary Gladstar is literally a star figure in the field of modern herbalism, internationally renowned for technical knowledge and stewardship in the global herbalist community. She has been learning, teaching, and writing about herbs for over 40 years and is the author of 11 books. She's the founding president of United Plant Savers and founder and past director of the International Herb Symposium. And Susan Leopold is an ethnobotanist and passionate defender of biodiversity. Over the past 20 years, Susan has worked extensively with indigenous peoples in Peru and Costa Rica. She's the executive director of the United Plant Savers and director of the Sacred Seeds Project. She's a proud member of the Potomac Indian Tribe of Virginia and the author of the children's book, Isabella's Peppermint Flower teaching about Virginia's botanical history. She lives on and manages a productive farm, the Indian Pipe Botanical Sanctuary in Virginia, where she raises goats, peacocks, and herbs, of course. Welcome, Rosemary and Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. That's great. Thank you, John and Tara, for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. So Rosemary and Susan, the upcoming International Herb Symposium is run by and a benefit for United Plant Savers. And for the first time, this event, rather than a keynote speaker, has a keynote species. So you're taking it from the plant perspective. So I'd like to start the conversation with like, well, about the plant's perspective. What do you mean by this? How is it done? And how is it important for herbalists? Well, this is really something that I kind of came up with because this past year in the off year of the International Herb Symposium, we did the first International Herb Symposium Film Festival. And in this film festival, there were just so many incredible, wonderful shorts and longs. And two of them that really stuck out was the one short film, Saging the World. And another another short film called Food That Grows on Water, which features the wild rice and how unique that is to North America. So this idea came about of, you know, really highlighting the plant's perspective as we gather for the International Herb Symposium. So I, so I really felt like, you know, for those that have been to the International Herb Symposium and been a part of like the chapel experience where we're really sharing what people in the herb community are doing. And it's really an opportunity for us to really share with the community the work that United Plant Savers is doing. I thought it would be a really kind of, you know, unique way to sort of highlight a, a, a keynote species as a part of our chapel event. And so that's that's sort of how, how the idea came about. And, and really, you know, as I said before, those nights that, you know, take place in the chapel have always been really diverse evenings with lots of people presenting. And I don't know, Rosemary, maybe you would like to, to talk about your process and, and sort of yeah. in the past, how, how those things have, have come together, because I know because you. I, when I first went to International Herb Symposium, like 12 for, I forgot what it was when we met Rosemary there, but, you know, I didn't know what I was going to. It was like a symposium. It sounds so dry, you know, like, oh, I'm going to a <laughs> Yet it was an experience. So I'd love to, to, yeah, hear about that experience. Like, and what makes this different? What makes an experience? Susan said the chapel experience, like what, you know, it's so there's a whole vibe and thing that happens there <laughs> to, to be part of. It. I love to hear about like how you design that or what it has evolved into. 
Yeah, well, I love I love the slogan for the international, which is "Come for the plants, stay for the party." Because in a in a way, <laughs> it is an enormous celebration, and for the plants and for the people who love plants. And I actually really love Susan's idea of having keynote plants rather than keynote people because it really puts the focus on the plants. And in truth, there are so many dynamic teachers that come. It's kind of hard to just pick one or two to Mm -hmm. give a keynote. The keynote can be so inspiring, but each of those workshops are so inspiring with this incredible different speakers that come that represent so many different backgrounds and different experience with the plants. So, you know, how those evenings, those gatherings in that chapel happened was because one of the things that I've always loved about these gatherings is they brought us together. They created Mm -hmm. a feeling of community and family. And there were so many connections that were made. I mean, that was one of the things when we look at how herbalism spread in this country was often through these gatherings that were happening really all across the country. And so, but when you come to the event, there you go off and you do your classes all day so you're you know you're really busy studying and you're learning and you get together at meals and that's about it so how do you create that sense of community it was always the opening circles where we bring people together and hold hands or sing or you know just create something it's ceremony that brought us together and the closing circle but then it would be those that friday and saturday night in the chapel and we would come together after having this day of just filling up from these different classes and have music, have inspiring talks, uh, have different teachers get up and speak. You know, sometimes they would, sometimes we would honor the elders and create a space for the elders to just share. Sometimes we would have a place for people to come up and do what I called witnessing for the plants, which was just having people who were felt inspired to come up and talk about that moment when their life was transformed by the plant. So they they just became these luscious, delicious evenings that we all look forward to. And they really helped, I feel, more than anything else, create this sense of community that people started to have in this country and just kind of spread out. So yeah, I and I and I have to say again, I just love this idea of the keynote plants, you know, <laughs> and and focusing on the plants. I, I, when I looked at that, it was like, oh, Susan, and another one of her great wild ideas. <laughs> like, you know, and I actually looked up what keys, I was looking up, trying to look up keynote plants to see if it had ever happened before. And I kept getting keynote species, right? But when I really looked at that, it really is exactly what she's trying to highlight there is that there are key plants and I would say all plants, but there's certainly certain plants today that are essential to their habitat and also they're essential to all life. You know, they're really the plants that are helping to save the planet. And we do need to focus on those. And, you know, Susan has chosen two, we could choose 30 or 40 or 50, right? But Mm -hmm. (laughs) so anyway, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about those two plants that you chose as well? And what really you talked about seeing a few documentaries about those two and just what really inspired you to bring these two into the, and you know, that would be wild rice and sage, white mm-hmm. sage, white sage. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, well, United Plant Savers has been working on bringing awareness to the issue surrounding white sage for a few years now. And in that process, I've written several articles that have spurred several more articles and it really became a catalyst between bringing several 
of um, state and federally recognized tribes in California and a real leader has been the California Native Plant Society. And the the film that was produced, Saging the World, it's about, I think, 15 minutes long. And it actually got our Rosemary Gladstar Award. So we were able to gift the makers of the film $5,000 to continue to promote the the film. And you can go on YouTube and and watch it. You can go to links on our website and watch it. It's amazing. it's yeah. a very it's a very yeah. powerful film and and I think they did a really wonderful job of presenting all the different perspectives and in the devastation that the white sage trade has had on wild habitats in both California and Mexico. And this idea that there's a plant that can be grown so easily that there, there is a way to have both to have trade and to have organically grown white sage. But the demand has been so intense just in the last five years. It's just grown exponentially. And when you watch this film and you see the devastation, United Plant Savers got involved, I think it was about three and a half, four years ago when they they started to, to have several arrests in the San, San Bernardino area in the Etiwanda Preserve. And it, and it brings up all kinds of layers, right? Because- yeah. It's the people who are out there harvesting are often people who have no other choice. It's a form of of, of, of really, I don't know, slavery in a way. I mean, it's it's super heavy. Really? It's often people who have no other choice. They're out there trying to get money however they can. Mm-hmm. And then you have this industry, you have no traceability, you have, you have no rules or regulations. So really kudos to everybody who kind of pulled together. And I've been, you know really a part of this for for several years and and just it's it's allowed me to make incredible connections and strengthen the California Native Plant Society did a whole, their journal on yes. the white stage and I, and I was I got to to write for it and and work with all these different individuals some of them from the movie will come and 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 be there to to talk about it and I think they've like I said before it's I think it's an, a good example of how to how to not not demonize anything, but but really present how important white sage is to indigenous cultures and and also how there there is a way forward and bringing more awareness and and potential work to sort of lay the groundwork to have because white sage isn't federally listed, right? It's not it's not considered threatened or endangered, but mm-hmm. yet it's under all this stress. So the idea of, of having white sage be acknowledged at the state level as a culturally significant plant that would, you know, bring more awareness and protection and provide more accountability in the supply chain. So I think, you know, telling telling the story from the plant's perspective, I think it gives people the tools and awareness of of where these plants come from. And, and how to ask good questions and, and how to, you know, approach these complicated issues of, of, of cultural um, sensitivities and, and also to honor those, those cultural values and, and significance that, you know, white sage as a medicinal plant plays. So anyway, so I think it's a wonderful so that has just really come come through pretty heavily. And, you know, from Standing Rock to all the people fighting all the pipelines, the, the threat that these pipelines are, are bringing to areas of Minnesota and regions where 
the wild rice grows and really Nathan Wright, who's one of our, our board members, you know, really brought it to our attention. So we have it added to one of our in review species. And then this film food that grows on water, which is a very short film that kind of um, tells from indigenous perspectives, how important it is to grow out, to go out and to harvest this wild rice, how unique it is to North America and how dependent it is on water. So like, what is this wild rice it's talking to us, it's communicating to us, it's like mm -hmm. bringing us into that, you know, overlay of, you know, food is medicine, herbs are medicine, our ecology is medicine, you know, water is life. And, you know, we're at this critical crossroads and and the, the young kid who, you know, went out and made this film, I mean, it was just so wonderful to be able to bring awareness to his film. And so anyways, I just feel like these are two plants that have just really come to me really strongly, you know, over the last year or so that I, I, I really want to amplify their story. And, and so I feel like that is, is kind of a great way to get people thinking yeah. about, you know, plants in our yeah. lives. And also tell these stories. I mean, honestly, you know, the International Herb Symposiums had so many, so many great keynote speakers. I just felt like I couldn't, I don't know. Like, I just, <laughs> it was hard to, you know, it was hard to town. And so, and so, so I, what I would like to talk about is United Plan Savers, as far as Rosemary, when, when this came to you, this idea, and I believe it was with some other friends of yours too, or if you thought of like, you know, when this came to you first, cause, cause when I was, when I was starting learning about herbs and I heard the United Plan Savers was around in those at that time as well, I didn't really understand or connect with the importance. Like what plants are we trying to save? The plants are, you know, like everywhere, like what, I didn't get the importance of that. So well, what point did you say, hey, there's something going on out there that people need to be aware of, you know, even if you're home herbalist and you're making a few remedies or you're growing a garden, this is important stuff to know. And it, and it really kind of happened at the International Herb Symposium, correct? Right, I mean, this right. is before Yeah, I, yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah, that's like full circle, but go ahead. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's true. The International Herb Symposium played a really key part in bringing us together. But I had, it really happened because when I moved from California to New England, and I was living in a beautiful wilderness area where I should have found a lot of the plants that were native here, right, on the East Coast. And I had been using and selling and teaching about these plants from my, my herb school out on the West Coast. So I was really excited to meet them. And, you know, I would hike. I spent those first couple of years hiking a lot and, you know, getting to know a lot of the weedy plants. But I really didn't ever find golden seal or ginseng. I found a little black cohosh and I found some blue cohosh. But very, very little of these plants that really should have been prolific there. And it sort of triggered something in my mind. You know, I didn't because it wasn't an issue that we were talking about. It wasn't like a light bulb went off yet. But I had gone over to Switzerland and I'd been hiking up in those mountains in the Alps. And it's beautiful as the Alps are. They are incredibly beautiful. They're very tame, right? They're, you know, everything about them, everything about Switzerland is very tame, even the wilderness. So when I came back to my home in Vermont and I was just looking out at this vast wilderness that I, I was so glad for the messiness of nature. And I went, I was walking out in the woods right after that. And I really literally heard the earth speak. You know, it was one of those times when I got an English, in English message. It was so clear. It was like the light bulb. It was like, you should start planning us. 
And I just heard that message like that. And we, I was getting ready for the, I think it was the fourth International Herb Symposium. It was in 1994. And I sent an invitation out to about, it was about 30 of us, 30 different herbalists who were going to be there who represented all the different aspects of herbalism because I wanted to get different opinions. And I just invited them to stay after, just to spend the night and stay after so we could just meet and just have a, a session. And it, as we sat in one of those little dorm rooms, actually, I think there was there was around 25 or 30. So we were pretty crowded. Just so folks know, International Herb Symposium takes place at Wheaton College on a campus <laughs> out south of Boston. So talking about dorms and all that. So you can yeah, we were in the dorm room keep, there. Keep on, just <laughs> one of the old dorms, right? At one of those old Ivy League colleges. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was so interesting because it was brought up as a question, really, like, so is anybody else noticing there's a problem going on? And it was so beautiful to listen in that circle, how we all had had the same concerns, every single person there, no matter where they lived in the country, they had all felt that, you know, where they had gone back to do their wildcrafting or, you know, these plants that were so precious, they weren't finding like they did, even some of the more common ones. And so we, we just, we really, I have to say, started United Plant Savers based on that question, is there a problem? We answered mm -hmm. yes. And if there is a problem, is there something we can do about it? And there was just, yeah, we need to do something about it. And that was the beginning really of, of that organization. But even more importantly than that, which is an organization I love with all my heart, and I'm so grateful for Susan and her leadership, but I would, mm -hmm. I would say even more important than the organization was the fact that it began to turn the herbal community slowly towards really looking at the plants right. themselves. It wasn't just what can we do, what can the plants do for us? It was really the first time that we were turning to the plants and looking, what can we do for you? You know, what is it that we can do? And um, I think for myself and for lots of other herbalists, it began, it really put us on a different track with our herbal work. I love thinking about that too, that question you just asked of like, what can we do for the plants? Not just right. what can the plants do for us? Cause it can be so easy to, you know, you just look up all of the different properties of a plant and be like, great, I want that, you know, and I want yeah. that plant that I can right. order from the store and that plant. And yeah. I'm curious for the home herbalist, what do you think, you know, the, whether the home herbalist who's making some garlic honey or, you know, the herbalist who's like, maybe I want to be a clinician someday. What can the beginner herbalist and the home herbalist really do to answer that question in their lives? So like, what can I do for the plants? How can I show up in relationship? Well, maybe I'll start. And then I know Susan will have some great ideas, but I would say one of the very first things is to become a voice for the plants and join United Plant Savers because we can be isolated, but really it's because this little organization has grown in membership that we are able to be a louder voice. So I just feel like anybody who, who loves plants and, and wants to be involved, that's just a very simple thing to do is to join and become part of this larger voice because the larger that organization is, the more impact we will have. So that's one thing. But the second thing is obviously we need to, it's, you know, people are always educating and trying to teach each other, you know, it's so important to know the dosage and to know mm -hmm. what herbs are safe or not safe. And I'd say all that's important, but the number one important thing when you are invited into the world of plants, when the plants call you in and embrace you is that you turn to them immediately and you just go, what is it I can do for you? So becoming a voice and then also 
just simple. Be very responsible about products that you buy. You know, you have to, so like you have to know what those at-risk plants are. And then you have to be able to, which is very simple. You can print that list off. You know, you can keep it with you. You can keep it folded up in your purse. And when you go in or your back pocket. And so you have to be very attentive to the plants that you're purchasing. And you need to make sure that those plants are either organically grown or you're not going to, you know, the at-risk ones are organically grown, cultivated. Because, you know, it's just like we make a difference with what we buy. There's no doubt about Mm. it. And then also making your own medicine. I think that's another really important thing is just to make your own medicine. And, um, and, and it, whenever possible is growing. So I think this is a really major one is growing the plants, you know? So if you have a little backyard, it's really starting to plant those plants because it's only for about making, growing them to make your own medicine. But once you start planting those plants, you're welcoming back them back into their communities. And you're also, every time you plant native plants, you're also inviting the birds and the butterflies and the insects who once called this place their home to come back. So you start a train just simply by putting echinacea in your front yard, you know, or in your backyard. Or by, if you have a shady part, putting golden seal, you actually start a very incredible train of events that goes beyond just planting a plant. That's right. It's like, we're all part of this I want to, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like a movement in a way, because we are, um, you know, we're, we're helping with habitat loss, with climate change, and we're planting plants and we're, you know, even during the pandemic with supply chains and all going on, it's like, you know, breaking down, seeing the value of the plants that grow around us and the plants in our garden. And sometimes we just think of ourselves out here, like, oh, why just me, I'm harvesting or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my garden, but you, we are linked to a greater community of, of folks doing and thinking like this too. And, and, and that's one of the, you know, big gifts of United Plant Savers as well. Right, Susan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to, to build on the discussion, I mean, one of the really wonderful programs that United Plant Savers started after find, after, you know, initiating the Botanical Sanctuary in um, Rutland, Ohio, which is where we're located, anybody can create a botanical sanctuary. Mm. And so, I, I mean, just especially during the pandemic, I mean, the number of sanctuaries that people created and submitted was exponential. So I think, I don't know, I, I can't keep up with it, but I think we're well <laughs> over, we're well over 200 plus sanctuaries oh, wow. and you can go on the website and you can, you know, look at your state and you can see what registered botanical sanctuaries are there. And it's a great way to connect with like-minded people. But I think, you know, like you were saying like that chain reaction, I mean, it's really, we're living in a world where, you know, we manifest our our reality and it's very, plants are extremely empowering. So just beginning that process of what does it mean to create a botanical sanctuary for yourself, whether it's in your backyard or whether it's a community garden, whether it's an urban garden, you know, there's no parameters that you have to meet. I mean, it's just a passion for for creating a botanical sanctuary. We have a simple application. There's no right or wrong answer. You, you fill it out. You send us some pictures, ask us some questions. We're always mm-hmm. down to give people ideas or, you know, problem solve. And then we 
in the spring, we, we send out to our members opportunities to get certain medicinal plant seeds. And then in, in the fall, we, we tend to offer different roots and, and ginseng seeds and ramp seeds and, and things that, you know, you may want to plant at your botanical sanctuary. So it's, you know, I think it, it, it can be heavy, you know, we're, we're living in really intense times. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think when when you bring plants into your life, whether it's you know a house plant on your kitchen table or a windowsill herb garden or the sunflowers you planted in your front yard, it it just sparks this this transformation, and that's really where the magic happens. We're sort of, you know, you know, right. I've been kind of holding the space. We provide great information. We do this wonderful journal. We're we're growing in our sanctuary in Ohio, uh, but really, it's the members and and the kind of like the mycelium that's that's kind of spreading out. And and we're also trying to hold that space for the international community and bring and you know the global trade is is international and that's a part of what right. the Sacred Seeds Network is is botanical sanctuaries that are in other countries, so it's it's very up, uplifting and and hopeful. You know, plants are extremely forgiving, and <laughs> you know they you love them, they love you back. I mean, it's just pure uh, <laughs> magic. We all know it, right? I mean, I think that is the key, Susan. You know, like you're right. You know, sometimes people get so discouraged by all the heaviness and the bad news, but that's one of the things about plant people is, you know, when you start to work with plants, it just, they just lift your heart up. So the, and the work is fun and joyful. It's mm -hmm. hard sometimes and it's never ending, but it's always joyful and fun. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it, they just bring so much to people's lives, the beauty and, you know, their, their nourishment, their healing energy. Yeah. And they connect us in this amazing way to this great web of life. And they also connect us to people like you were saying around the world because it's one of the things that we hold in common is this you know our is our ancestral knowledge and love of plants it's something that's universal with all cultures around the world every every culture has an herbal history and herbal background and it's something that we share as humanity it's pretty incredible hard work and hard work yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You mentioned plant people. Imagine a gathering of over a thousand, twelve hundred. I don't remember what it was last time. Plant people at the International Herb Symposium, and it hasn't happened live. And this will be f four years this June. Yes, it's going to be quite a party. It's going to be quite a party. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're we're really excited. I mean, there's a big buzz about it. We've got a great lineup of teachers. And there's going to be some you know amazing vending, lots of cool activities during free time. The chapel will be filled with stories and music and lots of plant walks. And and there really is this you know I'm so honored to be a part of it in this capacity because there's such a long history and they've had, you know, Wheaton's gone through some trans transitions. They, they have a new president. They've, you know, they've gotten some, some funds to, to do some upgrades to their campus. But, you know, despite all of that, you know, there's just this buzz about having us back there. They want us mm -hmm. back there. They, and it, they, you know, people tell stories to other <laughs> Wheaton staff members about yeah like, oh we can't wait for the herb symposium to come back <laughs> um it, and you know the the staff in the cafeteria are like coming up with ideas to make sure the nice. line's not too long I mean they they really they do a wonderful job with the food they do a wonderful job hosting us and and though there's been some changes, they're just really excited to to have us back. And that, that's that so important. Community that really and good. connecting with others. 
is so important. You know, it's, you'd be amazed when you show up, you're the people that everyone who goes is going to meet somebody, meet people that they're going to make friends, friends for life or friends with plants for life. And it's just, I, I just can't, it's just, it's a magical experience. And, um, you know, I, I love, I love every, I can't say I've ever been to an herbal event or conference that I didn't like, but International they're all great that I've been to, but International Earth Symposium has a special place in my heart. I've been to so many of them and it's it's a magical, magical place. And and Kimberly, my wife Kimberly is gonna be teaching uh, as yeah. well. So if any Kimberly fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> many. I know I love that. It was so great to see that. You know, I think one of the reasons why the international is so special and it's special to all the participants and the teachers as well is because if because of the diversity of speakers and because speakers come from all over the world. And, you know, like, I know that when we would host the conferences that were more, you know, that were more local and stuff, it was this sense of building community and family together that has been going on since the really early 1970s with these events and inclusiveness, you know, everybody was welcome. And, but with the, so we really built a very strong community that's continued to be built in this country. And it's, you know, it's, becoming much more diverse, which is so beautiful to see and reaching out to so many different communities, which is awesome. But, but the international has done that same thing on a more international level. You know, I, so many of the speakers when they would come from other countries, they felt like this was their first time of being like in an herbal community that was so supportive. And then they would go back and start either little events, conferences or gardens, you know, and you know, begin this, try to make this grow all around. So it's beautiful. I just feel like our arms are reaching around the world entwined by the plants, you know, and it's, so I think that is one of the reasons that makes it particularly special is that people come with such very different ideas and there's such an openness for sharing, you know, of all the different backgrounds and the different ways that people do things. There's a lot of respect that I think is really important too. this respect for the differences that we all have. So yeah, I'm excited. And I do want to say it's, you know, COVID had kind of created such a lockdown mm -hmm. feeling and, and people, uh, you know, have kind of gotten used to not going out, but we need right. to gather with people. It's so important. We need yeah. to, you know, it's a, it's a human need to be together and to feed and be nourished by one another. So yeah, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it with all my heart, actually. It's going to be such a Come for the plants, party with the people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I've never been before. So this oh, will be my yeah. first time this yep. year. <laughs> and so one. for people who are wanting to go to the International Herb Symposium, how do they get there? How do they register? Internationalherbsymposium.com. Are there any deals or anything like that? Well, we're offering a deal to those listening to the podcast to use the, the word SAGE all uppercase to get $50 off the registration fee nice. that will be good until February 1st. Whoa. Thank awesome. you very much for that gift for Urban to Radio listeners. Very yes. Nice. <laughs> may, I, may I also off, off, just offer too that I think there's a special discount if people are members of United States, United Plant Savers, right, Susan? Right. Yes. So we encourage, we definitely encourage people to become members to find out the discount. And certainly, you know, I, I just want to. It might be a better discount if you might become be a, better, a member. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if you go to unitedplantsavers.org first, <laughs> yeah. just a little hint. 
I know that that we need like maybe shouldn't have said that, but it seems like we need members. So, like, yeah, you know, no, we should. Yeah, that okay. was perfect. Actually, I love this. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Susan. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to also, you know, say that we did do the International Herb Symposium online. And it was really amazing that we had such tremendous support that really helped keep the International Herb Symposium alive. And it also really helped United Plant Savers during the pandemic. So a big shout out to all the supporters of Plant Savers and those that that joined the, the online version of the International Herb Symposium. And we will be doing sort of a, a hybrid component where some of the classes will be pre-recorded. And so when you register for the International Herb Symposium, not only will you get the in-person experience, but then you will have a, a selection of recorded classes that you'll have over a year to watch. So oh, it's kind of a, a, nice, awesome. cool, a, nice, a nice bonus. And that'll allow awesome. for... You know, those who may just want to register just for the online portion that, you know, so people around the world can have access to some of these teachers and classes. So, you know, that's a component, but the online portion um, will be, you know, included in your registration if you register for the in-person event. So that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Excited. What else should we talk about, Tara? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, a little while ago, Rosemary, you mentioned like a, a list that people could print out and put on their fridge of at-risk plants. Can y'all talk a little bit more about where people could find mm. that? And what is that list exactly? What goes into making that? Susan, why didn't you answer that? Okay, great. Yes, you can go on United Plant Savers website and you can click the at-risk link and that will take you to a page where you can download a very nice PDF of the at-risk list. The the at-risk list has definitely changed, you know, over the years in some regards. In some respect, the list was really put together in the early days by by people really just expressing plants that they had experience with that they were that they were concerned about and that led to the publication of Planting the Future, which is still an incredible book that you can buy today that has individual chapters written by mostly some of the original board members and advisory board members of United Plant Savers. But since then, Kelly Kitchard, along with his grad student at the time, Lisa Castle, came up with an at-risk tool. And that tool is also on that at-risk page. And it's it's a pretty user-friendly tool. It asks a series of questions, and then you rate that plant from you know one to ten, and then with it, the higher the plant scores, the more sort of at risk the plant is. And it's a great tool just to you know download and and walk through the questions. It, the questions really get at you know understanding how the plant reproduces in the wild, right? How long does the plant you know how many years does it take till the plant can produce the part that you're actually harvesting? What part of the plant do you harvest? Do you harvest the root? Do you harvest the leaf? Do you harvest the fruit? All these things affect the vulnerability of a plant. And then you have the demand of, you know, how in demand in trade is that plant. And and that tool, you know, has guided United Plant Savers to adding plants to the list. And in in some cases, we've, you know, actually removed a plant from the list. So we have 
um, the at-risk list. And then we also have a list of plants in review that we're trying to gather more information about. So that, that gives you kind of an idea, but a, a lot of work goes into the board gathering information, the staff gathering information, companies contributing information so that we can, you know, provide some parameters that, you know, help people make better decisions. And then, and then it also guides our work as far as, you know, plants that we are studying how to propagate and also encouraging, you know, conservation through cultivation when that's really feasible. So that's a, that's a long-winded answer, but that's great. I actually, yeah, I use that we use that tool when I was in herb school to learn yeah. about plants when we were learning about different California oh, really? native really? plants. Really? And it was, yeah. yeah, it was a really helpful way to learn about the plant, to go through that process, to be like, what parts would I use of this plant? You know, how does this plant show up in commerce? And it's yeah. a really beautiful experiential tool to use in your learning as you're getting excited about a plant. Yeah, it's great yeah. to hear. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, the best year students all pick an at-risk plant and write a monograph on it and then give a presentation. No, I love hearing that because I think it's a really accessible tool that herb schools can use, that people who are on their own learning journey, that companies can use when they're making decisions. So um, all that information is accessible on our website. You know, n- everything that we do, we put on the website because we want the information there for people. And when you become a member, it's really, you know, just that you're supporting the organization. You will get our journal in the mail, but we it's also put our journal awesome. online. <laughs> so. That journal is awesome. It's it's like mm. such great herbal candy, right? It's got such great information <laughs> in it. You know, I did want to mention also about Kelly Kensher, who you Mm -hmm. mentioned, he and Lisa working on that at-risk tool, and he's a professor at the University of Kansas, right, Susan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just he was a board member for a number of years, and it was just was a great contribution that they made. And it was actually a tool that was used, I think, by the Fish and Wildlife, right, for determining well, at-risk fish. I think they kind yeah. of used it, you used that as the model. So it's a model that is used by the government as well. It was just modified for the plants. So, yeah. Shout out I, I just want to point out there that the website that Susan has been talking about, unitedplantsavers.org, that's where you can find that list. That's where you can donate. That's where you can find out about how to make a botanical sanctuary. A way to, this is a way you can volunteer at home and learn about herbs at the same time. Something you know that we didn't mention, Susan, was when and when it is the International Air Symposium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of it's important. It's in a mythical time. <laughs> the, the, the door, the portal to the other. When is the portal open? <laughs> and where does the portal open? And do we have to take airplanes? Can we just go through the portal? Right, right, totally. Good question. I, I, don't, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe it's June 9th, 10th. It is. And it is. It's in front of me. Yeah. And Wheaton Wheaton College is just right outside of Boston. Yes. It actually was one of the reasons that we chose Wheaton College because it had very easy access by flight, by train, by car. But the other reason that we chose it is because it's adjacent to 200 acres of woodland. They have a large woodland that they Hmm. kind of maintain there. So it allowed us a place to go walking and planting. We could plant little at-risk plants. We actually did 
you know, so it's a beautiful college campus. It's one of the old New England college campuses, but it had this Woodlands, which was essential when I was looking for a place. We, if you're going to have an herb conference, you have to have a place to do herb walks, right? You have to get right. people out. And this had both. It had easy access. It was a beautiful campus. And then it also had the Woodlands next to it. So and yeah. there will be lots of herb walks. I am glad Susan talked so much about the botanical sanctuary because it actually is one of my favorite, was one of my favorite projects. You know, when I, when I came up with that idea of starting those botanical sanctuaries, it took a long time for them to catch on. You know, it was very slow growth at the beginning, but to me, it was just a matter of people reclaiming their front yards and backyards Mm. and, Mm. you know, turning them into little sanctuaries, whether you lived in the city or in the country. So yeah, it's great to know that it's continuing, Susan, and just continues to grow. Yeah. yeah, and we really encourage people to come and visit. And we have the medicinal plant certificate program, which is no, now that would be a good place to. Yeah. You know, this would be a really good ending is to talk about people coming. Yes. To UPS sanctuary. So why don't yeah. So yeah, we really encourage people to come and visit the sanctuary. Uh, right. Um, we celebrated our, our 25th anniversary with the opening of the Center for Medicinal Plant Conservation dedicated to Jim and Peggy Duke. And we've grown almost out of our building because, you know, we took on the Jim's Botanical Library and we've received wow. other libraries. So now we have this opportunity to come and study with our, our library that we have. And we have Amazing. the Deep Ecology Artist Fellowship that you can all apply and come for two weeks and do art and explore the connection with the natural world. So it's really, uh, and uh, we also have the Medicinal Plant Certificate Program, which is a real small group of only six people for four weeks. And you really get to plug in and get your hands dirty, learning about propagating medicinal plants and caretaking of the botanical sanctuary. So there's a lot of a lot of ways to, to plug in. So we really encourage people if they can, we're located in Southeast Ohio, not too far from Athens, but it really is a, a, a very inspirational place to come and visit. And we're always doing wonderful programs. We just launched the Herbal Elders Project, oh. which was a grant from the Ohio Humanities, where we featured six different herbal elders in Ohio. And we'll be bringing that exhibit to IHS and, and showing it there as well. So it, it really will be an opportunity for those that come to IHS and for United Plant Savers to really showcase the work that we're doing and inspire people how to plug in. So lots of lots of things happening here in, in Ohio. If I might mention too, it's worth a visit to the center in Ohio because they're, they have this beautiful medicine trail um, that just wanders through the woods and also wanders into other neighbors that have opened up their land. Oh. It's it's absolutely an inspiring place for herbalists and plant lovers to go to because I think the very first time I ever went there, I, I actually went down on my knees and started crying because oh. the hillsides were covered in golden seal and there was old ginseng growing. So this was the first place I ever really saw these at-risk plants growing there naturally in abundance. So people who haven't seen these plants, this is still a really botanically rich, very, very unusual area that there are so many of these plants still thriving. And we were so fortunate to be able to, you know, purchase this land and put it into 
a nonprofit that will preserve it forever. So yeah, it's a great place to visit. So we're ready for you to come. We're ready for you, Rosemary, to come down. (laughs) I'll be down. I haven't been there for a while. It's time. (laughs) (laughs) This summer. I'll get there this summer. Speaking speaking of this summer, International Herb Symposium, June 9th to the 11th outside of Boston at Wheaton College, internationalherbsymposium.com. You can, you know, sign up and put in the code SAGE, all uppercase, and get $50 off until February 1st. Or, you know, you could head on over to unitedplantsavers.org first and become a member. Yeah, and, and it's not that just, case. Yeah, you, yeah. You might find even a better discount. Maybe, maybe. I don't want to. I don't want to promise anything. But right, there's right. different ways of. You know. <laughs> I can promise. I can promise. And, and, <laughs> I can promise. I will add that you know the IHS is known to sell out. Yes, always has. It always does. It always. Does. <laughs> so exactly, I should definitely good point, Susan, because I don't think I've ever been there, especially because it hasn't been there for four years in person. And people are wanting to, to, you know, be there with each other. And we look forward to seeing you all there. So yeah. Well, Rosemary and Susan, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you both. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so excited to go to the International Herb Symposium. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. See you all there, Herb Mentor Radio listeners. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Sound engineering by Zach Frank. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of Herb Mentor, your home for herbal education. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of LearningHerbs.com LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening.